Well, uh, allow me to welcome you all to Enterprise. Your uh, new uniform is very yellow. Oh, it's gold, technically, because I'm uh, <laughs> a captain, so. Well, on behalf of Majalis, we thank you for your help, Captain Pike. Notch Carnigan with me, wondering when Darth Vader is going to come out in this cloud city of Marjalis is... Adam Bowen. <laughs> Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we're covering the sixth episode of the first season of Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Oh boy, like, I want you to read that title to me again. It makes me think of philosophical thoughts, Adam. When you okay, do. okay, everyone, uh, close your eyes, and we're going to imagine ourselves like in... The, uh, the year 2259, you hear the nice thrum of the warp core underneath you. And I'm just going to tell you that we need someone to lift us where suffering cannot reach. Yes. Preach. Preach, my friend. And, dear listener, what you should do is you should follow us on social media. If you don't already, the username is at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, do us a solid... Tell your friends about the podcast. Please help us get new listeners. And also, go ahead and rate us on your favorite podcast app. A five-star rating really helps us appear a little bit higher on search lists when people search for Star Trek podcasts to listen to. And I need to tell you right now that we are going to spoil this uh, episode of Star Trek. We're going to spoil other episodes of Star Trek. And I mean... This actually might be one that's worth uh, uh, really calling that out because th there's a there's a decent twist at the end that actually maybe you couldn't have predicted it the moment that the entire uh, episode started. But maybe you could. We can talk about that. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Okay, well, thanks, Adam. Uh, just as Adam said today, we're going to talk about Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. I don't say it with the same gravitas he does. And it's the sixth episode of Strange New Worlds. First out on 9th June 2022. It was written by Robin Wasserman and Bill Walkoff. It was directed by Andy Armaganian. The in-universe date is 2259. And as we have established, star dates do not matter in Strange New Worlds. So I will continue not to read them. Here is the long summary from Memory Alpha. Hopefully this one is not broken like the last one was. Because uh, I don't read these before I start reading them out loud. So you're just learning how they're Who written would? with me, dear listener. What did you say, Adam? Who, who would? Uh, who would? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. That's who. A threat to an idyllic planet reunites Captain Pike with the lost love of his life. To protect her and a scientific holy child from a conspiracy, Pike offers his help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. Uh, I don't know if this is the lost love of his life. I think the memory alpha reader, uh, summary writer, doing a little shipping uh, yeah, while, while writing. I, I, I mean, especially since like we know that eventually the, that's sort of Vina, but maybe m more Vina because of convenience. I, I'm right. not convinced that Pike really has the the love of his life in the way that some other uh, Star Trek captains might have. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's kind of more like Pike's lost single one sex buddy among many in his life 
you know, like, come on. Like, the man fucks, let's be honest, okay? But he, he, he did not this one, uh, so, uh, like, 10 years ago or, or whatever, so, uh, until this episode. So it, it's possible that uh that's what we're using to measure it it's sort of the what 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 uh was not attained or was was not a, uh uh the connections that weren't made uh that makes things fonder etc i feel like there's connections like some sort of... that's a star trek euphemism if i ever heard one they connected <laughs> in their lower parts uh <laughs> anyway you think you think you think uh, lieutenant pike much like anson mountain the real world had a horrible mullet when he was in his 20s and younger. So, like, when, the, when like, Alora saw him, she's like, whoa, you aged well, buddy. Look at those guns. Uh, yeah, Starfleet's I, got I, the I Second like... Amendment now, huh? <laughs> right to possess arms. Anson Mount has some. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I, was, I was not prepared for it. Uh, when we, we were talking, I think it was last episode, about, um, like, oh, that the... Uh, the uniforms are especially flattering uh or something like that that he he said like oh they they uh they're very forgiving and uh he, he doesn't need his uniforms to be forgiving no no he's forgiving on the eyes let's put it that way um <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think i think we usually start with our strange new takes this time we're kind of jumping with within with them kind of in the middle i don't, I don't know I, that this is a strange take <laughs> no no but i just want to say like when it's just the two of us on the podcast things go off the rail pretty quickly they, they really do <laughs> they really do they really do very fast okay well strange new takes adam you got one for me yeah, so uh, strange new take for the real life for the real life. Uh, the the MTV's the real all, life. Yeah, the the, the, real where world. We, the place where we all live uh, uh, was provided to me this morning by my chicken Florence. Uh, Florence, it seems, has discovered that uh, when you go to lay an egg uh, up in the nest box each morning, uh, if you want, there's a tasty treat that you can have, which is the egg that you just laid. Oh, what? Uh, so I, I went to check on her this morning and she was uh, kind of uh, uh, not not even like a, a sort of like a guilty uh, look on her face. Uh, she was just full on just like eating the yolk out of the egg that she had broken open. So uh, that's that's a little bit gross. Uh, uh, but I mean, I've never tried it. So may, maybe maybe it is good to just eat a raw egg. Uh just like that so uh, can't, i thought can't, you were gonna go exactly in a very judge. different direction with trying it uh and i'm glad you didn't uh i have eaten raw eggs you've never had a cocktail with a raw egg i'm sure you've had well, a no, I, I mean so, so th i feel like there's a difference between like having a cocktail with a raw egg and just like an egg fell on the ground and you're just mm. eating it right there like well, the, yeah, those yeah. feel like different things, and, some, and, some and so that's put, what I'm not wanting to judge about. So some people put eggs into their protein shakes. Some people, mm -hmm. um, runny eggs. You eat runny eggs. I'm sure. Oh, of course they eat runny eggs. That's the best way to have eggs. So I that I do I do suspect that this is a tasty treat. Uh, so uh, good good job, Florence. Um, I'm gonna have to plan on uh, probably having uh, less eggs uh, <laughs> come out of my chickens <laughs> that I can have. So oh well. Uh, for the, the episode though, um, this one was, was interesting cause I, I, uh, there was a lot of foreshadowing that happened throughout this and I, I definitely knew not to trust, uh, uh, Alora and friends, but, uh, I, I was surprised with, with, uh, just how far Star Trek went here with, with this episode. So, uh, I'm excited to talk with you about it. 
Yeah, yeah, I think me too, me too. Uh, my take, my strange new take, is that supposedly sunglasses are supposed to suit your the shape of your head, but I've never really been able to figure out what the shape of my head is and if my sunglasses do or do not suit it. I've worn both rectangular and roundish sunglasses and they both look good, so... I guess this isn't me complaining as much as just being a little confused about the whole situation. So uh, you just have a beautiful shape of, of face, and so Thank therefore you. all Thank sunglasses you. look great to you. I can look play Captain Pike now after that compliment. <laughs> uh, my strange new take for this episode is that oh man, they really went there, didn't they? Uh, they, yeah. they they had an unhappy ending, full on unhappy ending. And I was trying to think of other Star Trek episodes where that's like where it's been like that and it's pretty rare yeah i especially like once once i'm like oh we have pike in in the room like oh this was her mistake like we we let pike in here he's gonna he's gonna uh, do the double fist punch and uh, be able to take <laughs> take these guards out and whatnot like no she had him in there because she knew that he could literally not do anything about it and would like he needed to learn a lesson uh from her perspective uh which yeah, it was it was interesting having having this be the conclusion of this kind of episode because Star Trek has really uh, I feel like especially with um, it I feel like maybe more so in this modern Trek we we have like the when when you have the good guys in there and they're ready to like uh, uh, they're in that kind of situation like they they kick ass and they win but uh or, or reality resets itself like in year of hell or yeah, you know, something yeah. something nice happens at the end to make you all feel a little bit better but but th this time we got the we got the full like captain pike staring out at the stars at the end just like uh picard would mm -hmm. on on some of his darker episodes so i mean which, which other en endings do we know that there are unhappy endings so uh, one that comes to my mind is voyager latent image the one where the doctor has memories of a death suppressed because he because the crew finds him going mm -hmm. kind of like he has a little bit of ptsd that his program can't handle and then at the end basically it's, if i recall correctly it's just a shot of the doctor sitting quietly in his office thinking through his problems yeah, I I I would say uh, the episode where uh, Harry Kim dies and then we uh, kind of ignore that he's dead now and has been replaced. But I don't think anyone cared at the end of that episode. So course uh, oblivion, yeah. course oblivion, the one where um, yes, course the, oblivion the, actually the, the silver copies of Voyager. Um, we do get a scene with the actual crew at the end, kind of. So it is a little bit of a reset, but still like. All of them die. They're like copies. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is our crew is fine, but uh, uh, essentially, like they're they're duplicates in a, uh, I I mean, really in a way where they, they uh, I feel like they were, um, sort of like true successors to the crew or whatnot. So it it wasn't just like, uh, simulacrums that I I wasn't too sad about at the end. It, it was fully devastating the way that episode ended. Um. And I, I mean, so there, there are several ones where there, there's sort of a uh, the captain uh, has to make some sort of uh, uh, hard decision, but it's like for the greater good type type thing. So it, like uh, in the pale moonlight, uh, at least has sort of a, a somber tone at the end, but like he mm -hmm. succeeded in doing the thing that he wanted. And so what I thought was interesting here was that it wasn't. It wasn't exactly 
like it wasn't something that Pike was trying to do or that he even agreed with or saw the purpose in it happening. It just it's it's sort of like someone else was making the hard choices and uh, like they were having their Cisco moment, but with Pike in the room, uh, yeah. which was uh, a, a really interesting take that I, I don't know that I've that I can think of an episode that that hits quite that way. I mean, they're, they're, I, I won't say they hit quite that way, but then there's the two other episodes which involve kind of a defector from the other side. Well, not quite a defector, but a prisoner. So you've got the defector in TNG, which has that Romulan Jarok, uh, who's defected. Uh, then you've got the DS9 episode where they where they apprehend that guy who's supposed to be the commandant of uh, a concentration camp, basically. Mm. I, I forget the name now. Um of the guy who plays him, but it turns out he was just one of the clerks, but then he gets stabbed at the end by. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- there are a few, a few like that where it's sort of a, um, you, <coughs> we just fully get a, an unsatisfying ending out of, out of something. Yeah. 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 So, so, so I, yeah, I guess there are a few that are kind of like that, but yeah, nothing like full on, like child is having the likes sucked out of them. And that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I, the the degree to which we just sort of sat there and and like, uh, I guess turned a little bit of the mirror of like, d- can you honestly say that there aren't uh, children that have that have suffered to uh, sort of make the Federation what it is, and it's just like a, wow. <laughs> so this is, I mean, it's a little bit of a difficult episode to break apart into its contingent parts because I think there is just one single storyline from beginning to end. I mean, there's sort of a B storyline with Uhura and La, yeah. but not white. Um, and it, and so, it even folds like directly into the plot uh, once once we get about halfway through, uh, and, definitely and, by the seventh lesson. Right, right. I, I, so I don't know if you agree with me on this, Adam, but I think this episode could have benefited from a little bit of streamlining of its many twists and turns. And I feel like there was just, for me, there was just one too many elements of the plot that were being stuck in there. And I had trouble sometimes keeping up with what the episode was trying to tell me in terms of detail. There was, uh, I mean, maybe... Maybe uh, both of us have have a little bit of this in mind. Uh, uh, Gamal, I think it was hard to tell where his motivation was coming from because when we first meet him, he has sort of the "I am uh, father" uh, in a biological sense only uh, at the beginning. So we know that there's some sort of like a a weird footing that that we have with him. But uh, yeah, th- there were. It, it 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 was hard to I, I I felt found myself a little bit confused like towards the end about like wait is he like is like it, how is he bad or like was he trying to actually steal his son or was he trying to steal his son but have him secretly transported into the Enterprise still or like like exactly how that was supposed to um to go through and yes yeah, so I, I I agree that there's there's a little bit of um uh extra messiness that that happened in this in this plot uh that that could have been simplified a little bit yeah yeah so let's let's jump in basically um we find that there is a ship that is attacking the ship the marjala shuttle Mm -hmm. the uh enterprise intervenes 
I like that this is the first, also one of the few times when basically the the captain is like, yeah, just disable the weapons, just just punch them around a little bit, and the, and Uhura's like, oh no, I broke them in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, actually on my my first watching, I was sort of like a, a little bit horrified that like, wait, or why aren't we doing anything? Like, I I mean, clearly if we disable the ship and it's like going to crash into the planet, but why didn't we like try to save them? Uh, or just to, if only to put them in the brig or anything like that. But there was a sort of throwaway line uh, when Uhura and um, Nunian's uh, saying are on the uh, um, the crashed ship. Uh, I think Laan says something like they must have beamed away uh, or something mm-hmm. like that. So I'm like, OK, we didn't Uhura didn't kill like 20 people. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, they were aggressors and, and all of that, but I I would have, um, uh, it felt a little weird to not, uh, it's especially considering this was such a mismatch of technologies, like the Enterprise uh, was so overpowered compared to this other vessel where the minimum setting was capable of destroying their ship uh, that it, it felt weird to kind of treat them as, the same full level of of like mm-hmm. bad guys that we might with with another vessel that's more dangerous um like i i don't know that we would feel bad if like we accidentally destroyed the duras sisters ship or something like that uh but this is sort of like we're we're fighting an enemy that's uh maybe uh enterprise level like uh the 20 uh 22nd century or something like that um uh, since we had those those grappling hooks instead of tractor beams uh, used mm-hmm. and whatnot, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that's one of. So starting with one of the things that I think was a little bit superfluous, it's this other colony piece of it, mm-hmm. and I I just don't know what I got out of that because it it. Yeah, I guess they crack the code later that they figure out that Alora has been lying. So maybe that's one of the reason they exist is to give Alora a a lie that she tells Pike. Mm-hmm. But we never get to see this other colony. And it's not entirely clear to me why we couldn't just have like had rebels from within the planet. <laughs> so it's just it was just yeah. one other thing to keep in mind and to kind of think about and which really kind of ended up as a dead end because it was really no we, we didn't see the colony we didn't drop off al gamal there there was no like interaction with anyone from it so it just didn't yeah so, so I, I i guess some of it um i can see part of the reason for having that colony be because they they hinged this entire society like the the planet that they live on uh apparently is a horrible planet that is just like molten lava or, or what, whatever other types of like poisonous uh uh to life situation it is and the only way their society can exist is by having it all float up into the sky and so i suppose i could i could see them um the writers room maybe having difficulty figuring out like h- how do we have convincing rebels who are arguing for let's have the entire like our whole civilization fall out of the sky and kill everybody uh and by having it be a sort of like a rebel faction that is uh saving the kid and has another colony maybe there uh it it is uh, more believable for us to have like a separate faction who is sort of saying 
uh, that society is held up on immoral grounds. Mm-hmm. And if we take away the kid that they're going to use for the ascension, then maybe the city will like slowly fall and we'll be able to evacuate people to our planet or something like that. But I, I, I'm just, uh, that that's sort of a uh, definitely like an out of universe guess that I'm using uh, to piece that one together. Oh, for sure, and I think that's that's probably the most believable thing that I can go with um, uh, in terms of the the purpose that they served in the plot. I I just again it was it was an area where I felt a little unsatisfied in the end. So we get we get Alora, Elder Gamal, and the first servant onto the ship we immediately get some awkwardness around are you his father only in a biological sense and you know like something's <laughs> wrong and then of yeah. course we get the awkward lieutenant pike moment which was hilarious yeah i i guess it's uh it was definitely one of those moments where like oh yeah why would she be familiar with like what insignia mean and like uh, exactly like how people's names work and that ranks would probably increase over time or things like that because uh, maybe all she knew him was like maybe lieutenant is his first name <laughs> or something like that right, and she doesn't right. know that much about the starfleet and the federation exactly they haven't joined the federation so presumably she hasn't bumped into anyone from there who's like explained all the ranks or whatever he just saved her at one point yeah yeah from so. uh the, a, a pulsar which uh it, they, they kept on mentioning it, but I, I, I kind of like wanted, I, I was a little bit conf- like, was the Pulsar in that system that they were in? Like, was this the exact same place that they had met before? It kind of seemed like that, but I, 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 I don't recall seeing like a Pulsar on screen or anything like that. So it was, it was a bit of mystery that I was like, oh, I'm slightly intrigued, but we didn't, we didn't like really dig into it that much besides say that like insult her piloting skills. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like, uh, it, it was just, a quick reason that she and Pike knew each other. It wasn't kind of, they didn't delve into it in huge amount of detail other than the one revelation at the end of why she, what she used to be earlier in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, this point, good to point out, Alora played by Lindy Booth, who's a uh, Canadian actress who's played several different characters. She's kind of a journeyman TV actor. I think her biggest role maybe was as Night Bitch in Kick-Ass 3. Um, well, Kick-Ass 2, I think, actually. Yeah, Kick-Ass 2. But she's had a few other different roles in various Canadian and American series. Elder Gamal, played by Hus Madhavji, uh, who's a Canadian actor. Uh, again, uh, kind of been playing several journeyman roles in various mm-hmm. TV shows. The biggest star of this might actually be the kid, Ian Ho, who played uh, the first servant and also has played Zan on The Expanse and has a ton of credits to his name at age 12 oh yeah i i I had i had this like vague familiarity that i had with kind i think all three of them uh looked vaguely familiar to me but yeah i can see that now i i i wasn't uh wasn't thinking about that but yeah uh uh by the way I, i i just finished um the entirety of the of the expanse uh the book series um nice uh, a, a few weeks ago and i think it's it, it is up there with uh maybe any series i've ever read uh in terms of uh how much i enjoyed it so uh fully recommend to anybody who has considered uh taking a dive in there it's uh it's pretty fabulous i'm a little bit sad that we only got six seasons but i also kind of get where they stopped it yeah, I uh, I haven't watched the TV series yet. I read the first book. Maybe I'll get back to it at some point. 
Um, just a quick note also, one of the other people we see in a guest role in this is um, Ava Blackwell, who has played uh, several different characters across Discovery. She's one of the stunt women on Discovery who mm. occasionally gets to play other actors or other characters, I should say, as well. She was one of the guards in this, uh, or like the palace guard or whatever they were oh, called okay. yeah, yeah. In, the, in, the, in this episode. She's the one who actually... Finally, I think, knocks out Kirk when he tries to intervene in the First Servant's uh, uh, ascension. Uh, I, I assume you're referring to Pike. Who did I say? You said Kirk. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, really speaking, in this episode especially, like, you know, he gets the girl, yeah, yeah, he has the, a bunch the, of action a, scenes. I, and, and, and really, I, I can see, like, there's not necessarily, like, that much... Uh, uh, difference it at least in the way of like i i feel like if we were to have a kirk now and have him be captain we might have uh sort of put him down more this this pike direction uh but yeah yeah so it's um i think i think it's kind of cool to note that maybe there's a little bit of um transference between discovery and this show also i have a blackwell i believe has been the stunt double for rebecca roman so far in strange new worlds as well so oh okay yeah yeah um, but yeah, getting getting back to the story. So pretty quickly, this, the action moves to Sick Bay, where we have a return of Mabenga's daughter. Yeah, uh, and I, for me, this was especially tragic. Learning this uh, this little tidbit where she doesn't really know all the time, like when she's phasing in or out. Uh, and so like it, it happens kind of mid conversation. He might accidentally read the same story twice, uh, in a row and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I don't exactly know quite what about that is, uh, uh, hit, hit me harder, but it definitely did when we, uh, as I was watching this episode, um, cause it's definitely like he, he doesn't get a full, um, he he doesn't really get a grieving process as as he's going through this because he kind of has to uh still sort of put up that um sort of the brave face for his daughter I, I, I we don't have a clear sense of like how many times a week or whatever that he's doing this but mm -hmm. uh cuz it, it's possible that when she shows up again this episode maybe she wasn't scheduled to be uh removed from the transporter uh, the transporter buffer uh and um the first servant just like brought him, brought her out early, but, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's just, uh, Mbenga has a really hard time at this. Yeah. And I, I, I'll be honest, it's going to be interesting to see how they resolve the series, uh, of, of kind of, uh, events, this character arc. I was kind mm -hmm. of hoping that they would just fix it in this episode and get on with it. I guess in the end we see that he gets some of the way yeah. there. Um, partially with Elder Gamal's help, uh, like he gets part of the technology that he needs to fix it in the future. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't. I mean, maybe there, maybe there is like another episode that we can have like an interesting sort of the the Doctor works on actively building the solution, and that can be like a B plot or something for another episode. But it, it does feel. Or maybe he maybe he's gonna get an A plot where it's it's all focused on Mbenga and and trying to uh, uh, revive his daughter so that she can uh, at least or rehabilitate or re rehabilitate her to the point where she can 
uh, kind of be a recurring character on the show without only being in sick bay. Yeah, and the transporter buffer. And I, I mean, also, this isn't a family ship. So whenever that does happen, presumably she would no longer be on the ship. Um, oh, interesting. You uh, know what I mean? I mean, so well. I, I mean, here we go. We we've got a that that seems like a a a a significant portion of an episode we can write there where uh, he's he's dealing with the emotions of uh, curing his daughter or at least rehabilitating to her to the point where she can get um, sort of more chronic type care. And mm -hmm. uh, but as he's doing that, he loses access to being able to uh, sort of be her. Uh, full-time dad or something like that and so we deal with the emotionality of that have the tearful goodbye and meaningful yeah. looks etc so meaningful looks yeah no for <laughs> real i think i think that that would be exactly i mean presumably that's one of the things that's going to happen i don't know if strange new worlds would carry a plot like this through from season one to season two they seem to be uh, like we said much more episodic in nature so you'd think that they would resolve um this by the end of the uh, yeah and we actually uh there was a, a bit of a tease in the um the app uh is it called after trek i uh, uh ready room the ready room there we go uh the this week where uh alex kurtzman uh mentioned that uh so we we shouldn't necessarily think of this being a a static crew arrangement that uh, this is the same ship that uh, uh, is going to show up in the original series. And so there are other characters that might show up. I mean, we already have had a little bit spoiled uh, about uh, someone who's going to show up, I think probably either at the very end of this season or maybe the beginning of the next season. But I think um, it's possible that we're going to wrap up certain characters to the point of uh, maybe they we even have some people exit. Like, uh, oh, I mean, Re okay. Rebecca Romaine's been great as number one, but uh, I guess I'm wondering if perhaps uh, we're going to at some point have a Lieutenant Commander Kirk or something like that as as the first officer uh, and have it actually have time maybe in season three or four. Uh, 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 commander riley is actually like promoted to be captain of a different ship or something like that so i i i think that th that is possible that for us to just yeah fully resolve uh character arcs within the season and then maybe even resolve it to the point that we don't need certain characters anymore yeah, it's really interesting i hadn't thought of it that way and i mean it makes perfect sense that you would i mean it, from, from the universe standpoint it makes perfect sense that you do it that way still though it's kind of sad i really like this character set and i would be a little yeah. bit bummed out if like mabanga just left well uh, and, and it and it's also like uh it, it's i mean with, with how well this this series has been going like i i, I trust them uh in in a way that i haven't <laughs> i haven't trusted all the other series uh uh showrunners and whatnot to to do these things but like mm -hmm. it is a lot of pressure to have someone like a um either uh play kirk or uh, the not the non-samuel kirk uh someone to play uh a potentially like bones uh or uh 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 maybe even Chekhov, uh, like th there's a lot of pressure to add those characters in and make them feel as like well-grounded as the other parts of this cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's going to be a lift, I think for the, for the, for whoever is brought in. <laughs> so, um, well at this point, maybe let's take a break here and we'll come back with, uh, more about the episode. Will they suffer? 
Yes. We don't pretend otherwise. We live in gratitude for him. And when a new first servant ascends, we will live for her. Your whole civilization. All your... This. It's all founded on the suffering of a child. Can you honestly say that no child suffers for the benefit of your Federation? That no child lives in poverty or squalor while those who enjoy abundance look away? The only difference is we don't look away. And because of that, the suffering is born on the back of only one. It's what makes it a sacred honor. That's why I choose our way. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about an episode whose title is so long that I sometimes forget it as we're going through the episode. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Wow. I still don't know if it was grabbed from anything other than that line in the episode that you read to me earlier, Adam. Yeah, and I can't even remember if I I read that uh, during the episode. It might have been before the episode. So I will I will read it here in case I have not said it in the recording, uh, which is uh, it's a line that uh, Gamal says uh, uh, as we're sort of uh, talking about the um, uh, the culture of of their planet. And he says, "Let the tree who grows from sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach," which I mean. Th- uh, I mentioned before that there's lots of uh, uh, foreshadowing in this episode, but that is literally telling us what the purpose of the first servant is, is to lift up the entire uh, civilization where they cannot die in lava fires or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to do that by killing the kid. <laughs> so so let's let's as we proceed to the kid killing in this episode let us uh let's talk about the next set of events i think through this entire episode there's just a sense of disquiet you knew something was gonna go wrong there was there was something like someone was not telling the truth about something like, yeah the, the for, for me it, it most hit uh, uh or the first like real hit for me was uh she said that their maxim is science service sacrifice I'm like, oh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely like that sacrifice is kind of like you're like, wait, come again? What, what's happening yeah. now? Well, and and also that it's that the kid is going to embody that maximum. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, don't know if it's great to be the first servant, actually. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like the the way they were treating him, like every time he do something, kind of like this kid is super smart, and but they're like yeah. treating him with kid gloves for some reason reason didn't mm-hmm. make a lot of sense yeah uh which i i mean i i guess that uh i think they did pretty decent world building with this episode in the sense of like i i did get the feeling that they had a strong culture that they were sort of struggling with with their beliefs or in the case of uh alora maybe not struggling that much because she's like all of her struggle for this has been in the past where she was mm-hmm. uh, actively trying to research ways around this and has come to accept that this is the only way now. Uh, but definitely Gamal is, uh, is wavering a lot throughout the episode, uh, which I think sometimes leads to him being a little bit confusing uh, for the viewers as far as like what, what's going on with him. But uh, definitely by, by the end of it, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I get it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know if it makes sense to talk about all the little twists and turns. You can, mm -hmm. I guess the the main thing is, you know, the like, I want you to protect me. And then they end up having sex, basically. Uh, that's one key plot element is basically Alora seems to be very enamored with Pike now and wants to keep him on the planet. And yeah. for Pike, it's kind of a way to maybe avoid his fate is to know that this planet can fix anything medically. Yeah. And it, it, it is interesting to have, because um, I guess we know the, well, and maybe even Pike knows the re his own resolution that he's going to end up with Vina, because uh, he had that conversation with Vina uh, in Discovery, but I, I haven't seen those episodes recently, recently enough to uh, know the full extent of what he knows about his future. But um, it is interesting to have these kind of, other possibilities teased for like maybe pike can get out of it yeah by uh uh benefiting from the science from this culture or uh i think some of the things that like uh uh number one has has suggested is like maybe this really isn't written in stone and there's some way to avoid his fate uh i i feel like i i i, I however much i i like pike i feel like it would be kind of a disservice to things if we really just like uh made like had another fork in the timeline and have like now the the pike verse uh where we uh we we don't have anything bad happen to him i don't i don't know i i don't think that would be good so before as context of the discussion i have actually not watched the menagerie i guess i should at some point which mm. is the episode where the cage is recut into a slightly different plot on the original series yeah and so for me i don't understand first of all the relationship between the cage and the menagerie is the cage now canon as in a whole uh i think that uh i, th I think that un unless we have like specific reason to uh to to disbelieve certain portions of the cage i i think that uh that discovery episode especially uh made it uh uh canon because we uh like yeah we 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 reference it enough that um i don't i don't i don't think there's anything uh, yes we the i think the weirdest thing in the in the cage is that we call uh the warp drive time warp yeah. uh and there's a few other sort of strange uh terminology references like that but for the and also uh pike says something like I can't get used to having a woman on the bridge. Uh, things like that we're just yeah. fully forgetting. <laughs> but uh, I, I think for the most part, the, the cage itself can be considered ca canon. So then does the menagerie contradict? No, uh, the menagerie is, uh, is kind of telling the story of how Pike uh because in in the cage uh uh we have pike uh is essentially like hoodwinked by the i forget the name of these the aliens that have the gigantic Delosian. uh yeah the telosians uh that they're sort of like tricked into becoming part of like a zoo of different creatures around the galaxy that's and, in the cage right yeah that's in the yeah. that's in the cage and uh in the menagerie uh, we encounter uh, Pike, who has been disabled and is now in just a wheelchair where he's uh, he's so disfigured and is so um, 
I guess, kind of beyond Federation medicine that he is only able to say uh, a kind of blink once for yes and twice for no. The little and, light. Yeah, with a, there's a little light, and I think it also has a little bit of a buzzer in there. Mm-hmm. And essentially, we uh, he wants to um, uh, get back to this planet, which uh, the Federation has set up a... Uh, I forget what they call it, but essentially, uh, you will be put to death if you go to this planet. Um, and which is uh, weird for the Federation to have a capital offense, but uh, that's this is like yeah. the one of the few instances of that. And uh, we end up having, um, I, I think it's basically a a story of uh, getting Pike back there so that Pike can kind of like finally live, be at peace and kind of live in this zoo with Vina. Uh, who has uh, also suffered uh, some disfiguring injuries uh, uh, that the Telosians sort of help her um, sort of not see in herself. And they're also able to give illusions to Pike that uh, so he is no longer able to perceive that he's in the wheelchair. So uh, kind of both of them can live happily ever after uh, in like their the bodies they had when they were in their 30s and uh live in this zoo paradise uh that the Telosians mm-hmm. created. So I guess my question becomes there is no reason that strange new worlds couldn't end before the start of TOS and then pick up again after TOS and show Pike like maybe Marshallis joins the federation and Pike is healed. Oh, I hadn't I hadn't considered that cuz th- there's not you're right. I don't think there are any references of like, oh, remember Pike? Uh, he died a little bit later, <laughs> or yeah. something like that. Because uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, to, to just just so so the the reason my mind went to all of this is because you said it, we don't want to fork in the timeline. We don't want to be cheating Pike. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the power of this series. I've talked about it a few episodes ago on this podcast. I feel like the power of the series is that Pike is going towards that fate. It is a tragedy. You know what's going to happen. And so everything it colors everything that comes before it. And I, I yeah. kind of appreciate that, actually. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want that to change either. But at the same time, it does seem like a little bit of a shame to dis, uh, to, to to remove the possibility of future Anson Mount performances. Uh, for example, I would watch a Pike movie. Like, let's be honest with one another. Oh, yeah. Like, this is feature film quality stuff. Um, so maybe if, if, if we're able to get that, I mean, and think about the, like the various tragic things that could happen to a character who has their disability cured. I mean, we've seen how that, like there are people out there who get cochlear implants, for example, and cannot Mm -hmm. deal with the sensation of hearing again. It's too much Mm -hmm. for them. So there's, there's complicated stuff that you can do if you do remove him out of that situation as well. So Maybe that's a way to continue having Anson Mount in the franchise without having a Lieutenant Riker type situation or a evil Riker's evil Pike coming from the Mirror Universe <laughs> Lorca style situation. Or I, right? I was I was thinking of uh, having a, a Pike hologram that people just like keep around as a uh, 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 a puppet to <laughs> pretend. Uh, I mean, I, I would not mind if Anson Mount becomes the emergency command hologram on like the yeah a future there, there series. There we go. 
We're good. Uh, yeah, right. So, so there's many ways to do this. Pitch made. Pitch made. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, we, we Strange New Worlds actually becomes a Kirk show with the bike, holographic bike advising him. Um, Shit, that's amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, getting getting back to to this episode. Um, this is the point at which we get handsome Mount showing us even more handsomeness and his hair has somehow grown four inches in height uh, as well <laughs> since the last episode. I, I have noticed that there, there's, yeah, uh, it, it does seem to change in size dramatically uh, depending on the, uh, the episode that we're Also, watching. Captain Pike does not have sex hair. He just has his tremendously sexy hair after sex. I wonder if he has to be like, Alora, please, 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 not the hair, not the hair. Half of command you, is the hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my 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 chin and below is fine. <laughs> Nothing else. Right. Also, Captain Pike has now been shown to have two sex partners in six episodes of this show. So. Oh def- yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, I I had a, a little bit of like, well, she did say like, I hope that you're not here uh, when I'm back in a month or or whatnot. So like, I don't think he has to call his. Uh, I don't think their boyfriend girlfriend. I don't think he has no. to call her and say like, hey. <laughs> no, hundred percent not. I, I, I met the queen of Machalis or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I got that vibe from Captain Captain Battle. I got that same vibe yeah. from the two of them. Like they were just hooking up. It was kind of one of those things where it's like you have a busy job, I have a busy job. We're just having fun. Like that's the vibe yeah. I got from them. Um. So so this is this is not a surprise to me. But I was more like, oh, he's got his shirt off and he is, you know, having sex <laughs> with the like alien of the week lady. This is Pete Kirk. Um, yes, it is. So, uh, I think I this think is where Kirk learned it from. <laughs> yeah, right. Pike was like, "Listen here, you little shit. This is how you do. You be a yeah. captain in Starfleet." <laughs> that that'll be the biggest departure from Star Trek 2009. Is uh, not anything with like Nero or Vulcan getting destroyed. It's going to be that uh, in this prime universe, uh, Kirk did not know how to be a ladies' man until he met Pike. <laughs> Kirk learned uh, everything from uh, Samuel Kirk uh, beforehand. And... Right, I'm still trying to figure out what Samuel Kirk's purpose is. I'm sure he's going to have a bigger role later. Like, so far, his purpose has been touch the alien object and get zapped. And in this episode, like, be, like, kind of frightened of Lan and walk away. Oh, I, I, I did love uh, getting that line from him. He was like, no, I, I forget exactly what it was. Like, no, she tears or that terrifies me and I just left. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, th- there's a whole bunch that happens. You've got the action sequence in the middle of this episode, which mm-hmm. what good episodic Star Trek doesn't have a action sequence. So we get them running through the through the woods. Um, I thought that that like her stabbing, Alora stabbing the guard would have some consequence. Like it was like she was trying to shut him up or something, but it doesn't seem like it. It just seems like it was genuinely an accident uh, that, that that dude died. And yeah, it, it. I forgot about that until just now. Um, but yeah, it didn't go anywhere. So, right. I guess and, we don't don't need to pick it up too much. And you got the double fake where Elder Gamal claims the first servant was stolen, but it's actually just him hiding the first servant in a crate. And again, I I feel like that's another point where I'm like, what was his plan? Like, he's like, oh, and this crate of yours, it's mine now. I'm going to this other colony with it. Like, what what was going to happen? Um, well, and, yeah. Because, like, the, the ship 
was destroyed, which I mean is a great way to be like, oh, the kid's just dead and we won't look for him. But like what was he planning to get himself rescued at least from from the the enterprise or also is there going to be some sort of like reckoning for the fact that the enterprise destroyed two ships from this like impoverished colony like probably they don't have any other vessels left like you know like i mean it it, they're the they're the federation it's the 23rd century they can just 3d print them some uh new ships and then hand them over if they want so yeah exactly they give them some decommissioned nxo1 ships or whatever (laughs) um anyway we we get that whole sequence of the first servant getting disappeared and then found. Kind of innovative. I kind of liked it. It was a little bit of a mystery for there for a second. And then pretty quickly, we, we move on to the Ascension scene, which, again, has the classic episodic Star Trek thing of, there's a huge celebration. The entire planet is involved. It's massive. And then you see, like, 30 people <laughs> looking at a balcony with like one guy this is like you know the picard uh what is it uh extinction day or whatever um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah the same thing where it's like there's gonna be tons of people the entirety of humanity celebrates this and there's like an auditorium yeah. full of people yeah <laughs> uh, which i mean it, in uh in covid times is impressive to get 30 people in a room together so absolutely 100%. Uh, props props to them and uh but yeah i i guess um and, and at least like this planet it since there are only so many like floating bits uh since we're this is uh, a whole planet based on bioshock infinite uh that it seems like may- maybe they can't fit that many people on a single uh floaty island so this was all the people that could reasonably get there and the other ones were watching from like the floating towers uh or other things like that and we see the child like getting like again it's like this this sense of disquiet throughout that whole sequence where the first servant is like yeah everybody loves me it's great and then and then everyone's like yes you must come and see you must come and see and to pike they're like yeah yeah we want you to check it out uh which makes sense at the end but it was definitely like why why are they like what is happening here like what's gonna what's what and like what what was interesting to me is like I I was trying to decide like when like how much did the kid himself know, uh, and I feel like it's it seemed like to some degree it had been explained to him or like he he was prepa- he was pre- being like prepared for this and understood uh, his role but but it was only when he saw the body of the previous servant uh, that he really had that moment of like wait no i don't want to do this anymore like please uh like is there some other way uh type thing which i i mean like that that is like the in terms of the drama of the episode that's the best moment to have him like fully realize what's going to happen but um it was uh pretty darn tragic well and then you know like i i bet there were more than a few people triggered by the million needles going into that kid's face uh, <laughs> i'm i'm not afraid of needles personally but like i'm sure others who are that wasn't a very comforting thing and, and i think i'm maybe not a fan of like 40 needles uh all at once in my head like yeah no no acupuncture fun. for you no i i can do some acupuncture but that's like nine needles in your entire body <laughs> yeah 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 
so so okay we we get to the basically the scene in the in the basement where which you're talking about presumably in the basement of one of those structures where this kid's gonna get yeah. up and then the kid like sees the shriveled form of his former the person he's replacing it's like ah i can't i can't have this happen to me but then quick pretty quickly he's like yep i must do this so um Makes me wonder a little bit whether the kid was brainwashed or if he was choosing freely, like age of consent versus not of consent. You know, like there's just a lot of like questions that pop up about how freely the first servant is is choosing, which I don't think we, we have answers to in this episode. So Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she did. Re- I think she repeatedly, uh, Alora uh, being the she, uh, mentioned several times that this is like freely chosen or that this is like a... Uh, uh, something like that, but I, I mean, obviously, like he didn't have a choice because this was some sort of like holy selection, uh, where they determined that this was the kid that was going to be the first servant, uh, and yeah, I, I think there's there's probably a heavy amount of uh, brainwashing and and sort of, um, I mean, the rea- the reality is like if this is their whole culture, the idea of like science, service, and sacrifice, there's. It, that patriotism it definitely goes a long way towards uh getting people to accept uh things that are ultimately detrimental to them and uh maybe they're they're only overcome in those moments where like it it really becomes quite clear what it is you're giving up and and again this is i mean touching on a live wire of star trek from the beginning the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few right I mean, yeah. this is this is an exemplification of that, and I think this is this is the the core question at the end that Alora poses to Kirk. Number one, they go into it, what knowing what's happening, they go into it eyes open. Now I don't know if they're flashing an image of the former first servant's body to everybody, which they should if they're saying it's all like above board or whatever. Yeah. But um, the real question is. Is that is going into it with eyes open, accepting the sacrifice completely? Does that make it okay? Um, and if you have built a civilization that requires this of somebody, if the civilization falls apart, is is the needs of this child more important than the needs of the many or an entire civilization? Like, what what is where do you draw the line there? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because we um I think what I what I appreciate about this is that it's it's sort of imagining like because the reality is like we've had a number of of societies uh through human civilization or human existence that have had ritual sacrifice uh or human sacrifices of of one sort or another and uh it is it's possible that we've even had societies that had this kind of uh approach to it where like maybe they knew what they were doing and it wasn't just, i i think it's sort of a um uh the the modern perspective now is just that these were all like savage societies and like that that was a uh an, an abhorrent type thing and like th- this is why they lost history or whatever mm-hmm. is because they were savages uh but it's I, I, I don't know. It, it is really interesting to try to imagine uh, what what if there was some sort of tangible benefit that they got out of it. Since it's Star Trek, it's not going to be that they they please their gods or whatever, or at least that wasn't the aim of this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
usually Star Trek would reach for, like they would be pleasing the wormhole aliens or something like that with this. No, but the, like that, there were yeah. tangible benefits in this. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's, uh, and 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 that's how it would have been perceived in, uh, in human history is right. that people would have had the perception of there is some sort of benefit that we've gotten from these sacrifices, and so maybe people would sort of freely choose that kind of situation but it's it's just um at least to uh modern and therefore like star trek sensibilities it's it's kind of unimaginable uh to think of making that kind of trade uh it's especially to a society that is sort of post-scarcity and all of that in the federation so so the the other thing that um alora says is that does your society not have some suffering? Yeah. Now, number one, I think that's a very astute observation on the writer's part. That, that's yeah. a really great. I, I love that they, that Star Trek went there. And I think the important thing to come away with, I think there are two ways to finish. I think initially when I watched it, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, wow, our society sucks. And then I was like, wait, no, there's a key difference, which is our society, I think, at least a lot of us, maybe, I don't know if it's most, I don't know if it's all, I don't, I, I don't know what proportion. There are a lot of people, though, who do try to work very hard to remove people and children from poverty. If you mm -hmm. look at global poverty, for example, um, it has dramatically reduced since, since in the last 200 years. The amount of the global poor has fallen by something like 80%. It's incredible. Yeah. And so I think... That is the difference here. And I think that's the message we should be coming away with is to remember that there, that our society pays a price for being the way it is. And it's up to us as members of that society to help alleviate that burden, to, to make people better. And maybe that's um, the, the, maybe the lesson that Alora ended up with, which is that, oh, there's no way to make this any better. This is just the way it is. That's the mistake the Marjolans are making is that they're not continuing to find a better way, to find a different plan, join the Federation to like maybe find a new home world or whatever. Um, that they just content to accept things the way they are. And I think that's the key message here is that we shouldn't be content to accept the price people pay. We should be looking for a better way and to help alleviate suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, I, I appreciate that the writers trusted us to sort of think about these possibilities uh in, in sort of the conclusion of the episode we didn't end with a a pike speech where he sort of re retorts with that or something like that uh because i i think to some degree this is something that we need to have people really examine in themselves and examine in, in like how they approach society and i think what you said makes a whole lot of sense uh because yeah we're uh Kind of like there's certainly a lot of things that we can point to that uh, that are like dividing uh, our, our country and others in terms of like uh, politics and whatnot. And it's very easy to imagine that um, sort of uh, the the party that's opposite your own is uh, kind of abhorrent in every possible way and that there's not anything that that you that unifies people. But the reality is, is that they're uh, uh, like children in poverty is one of those situations where a lot of people will go out of their way to uh to try to do something about it we certainly disagree about exactly how we're going about it and uh uh definitely like the methods or or and a lot of disagreement over um 
sort of like the the best way to go forward but like that this is one of those things where um when people really are confronted with it and and mm-hmm. think about it and learn more about the poverty that's around them and in the world they try to do something about it yeah absolutely i, th- I think this is and and uh, the risk of going on too much of a tangent i think there's too many times where the conclusion after a problem is pointed out is wow these there's a problem here and that means everything sucks rather than visibility yeah. on the people who are trying to fix the problem and working and or the length of time that that problem has been attempting to be addressed by people out there and and the progress that's been made maybe the pro- amount of progress is inadequate to our modern sensibilities but sometimes when you look at the person who started that struggle they would look at the amount of progress we've had and say, okay, that's great. And I'm not saying one view or the other is entirely correct. Maybe it's somewhere in between where we say some progress has been made, but mm-hmm. we've got a long way to go. So we've got to keep working. But I feel like in our society, especially in the social media age, there's a lot of kind of depression, demoralization, and just utter sadness yeah. that comes in. And people don't stop to consider the the more positive, optimistic, or promotion of hard work towards that same objective that type of view if that makes sense we, we just stop at okay things yeah. suck now compared to how i want them to be um and that's the end and i i think it's important especially when we watch an episode like this that ends in such a sad way to think about kind of that side of things okay what what is the next like how do we help how do we make continue making progress um rather than just stopping at the thing that demoralizes us yeah, and I and I appreciate that about this sort of like optimistic science fiction that Star Trek inhabits, where we uh, often we do we we don't leave things at just the wow everything sucks and humanity is is bad and like look at these bad things that we've done. It's you have those moments you're confronted with the sort of the horrors of of real life, but you know that there is something that we're trying to improve and build towards. And you see that you see our characters over and over again, trying to push things farther along for what they believe is right. And you, and you see it, it sort of uh, turn out truly for the better for a, a, a lot of people. And then when, yeah, when they're, when they're confronted with uh, how, how the system isn't fully working, it's, uh usually the characters are then trying to figure out how to make that better yeah yeah 100 percent um just final conversation around tone of the series it's jumped around a bit uh we had the kind of serious episode two weeks ago we had the comic hijinks episode (laughs) last week and now we have a sad episode um really troubling one so i'm kind of i wanted to get your view on what you think in terms of the tone that strange new world has taken so far in the shifts and ebbs and flows which is much more like an older star trek tng than kind Mm -hmm. of a similar tone that a lot of other shows the, the the kind of more steady tones that other star treks have had so far well i i think what what's interesting for me is that having uh these episodes be separated from each other and live in this more episodic it's not it's not fully episodic in the way that uh tng was because i uh a lot of tng and tos like literally didn't matter the order that you watched episodes 
uh whereas uh here we we at least do get these kind of like previously on star trek mm-hmm. uh, uh strange new worlds that gives you sort of like here's the, here's the important threads that you need from last time but i uh, like here i i think it because the episodes are more separated from each other it frees us up to have some of those more fun episodes that star trek really likes to have like they even discovery tries to have these kinds of episodes uh like the the comedic ones that we had in the uh, uh last week uh uh mixed in with the seasons but because of how dire uh and and also just like how serialized uh the other star treks have been it having sort of like a one-off like fun episode where everyone goes goes and plays baseball or whatever like it feels bizarre uh that we allow our characters to have the, that moment of respite whereas in in strange new worlds like yeah there are big important things that they're working on but it's not weird for us to have a completely different theme next week versus what we had this week and so i i think i i appreciate that um this kind of gets that like short story freedom uh to this show that hasn't been afforded to star trek in uh kind of the past uh 20 years yeah plus yeah yeah any other aspects of of this episode that you'd like to discuss before we move on to ratings uh, I mean, I'd really like to dig uh, maybe 30 minutes or so where we're going to just talk about the uh, uh, healing at a subatomic level, because that's I think that's that's really the big theme of the episode <sighs> uh... that we need to we need to dig into uh, the implications of these quantum bio implants is uh, truly revolutionary uh, <laughs> from a Star Trek perspective. And I think is is going to be a, a major theme uh, going forward in this series. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there are, I'm sure, at the Daystrom Institute, they are digging into it as we speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's not let's leave them to that. Um, we didn't really talk about Uhura and Lan's like seven lessons, which were kind of kishy. And like, again, I, I felt like maybe there was just a little too much happening to focus on them completely. I, I, I definitely the seventh lesson felt a bit like a letdown uh versus how pike was like uh zipping his lips for like not reveal his like you need to watch out for number seven but it was just like that's just a hint for you no leave no stone unturned or whatever the dumb uh uh phrase for the lesson was but yeah she's got to look under what is it mugatan breathing stones uh, uh, I think it was Gumatan. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's move on to strange new ratings. Adam, would you like to stick your neck out first to give this episode a rating, or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll I'll go first. Uh, so we've talked about the episode having like maybe some issues, but honestly, for me, uh, the the overall theme and like where the episode went, I think just fully gets it to that ten rating uh, for me. That I I. I'm willing to uh, to forgive the uh, a little bit of messiness and not quite knowing what's going on if, at a few moments because I this this episode just uh, really hit hard with that ending there and I I, I appreciated having uh, having Pike look out the window and the way and reminded me of some uh, fabulous uh, Picard episodes so uh, that that being TNG not uh, no, no episode of Picard uh, did did that 
to that degree. Yeah, there was no there was no staring out of windows in, in Picard. Uh, I'm going to the seven and a half out of ten. I think this is an episode that is not a bad episode at all. A uh, lot of positives, but I just there there was just a little too much happening for me to really connect to the plot um, on a single watch. And I think if they had been able to hit a few of the beats a little harder. For example, the the stakes for the Marshallan people um, and maybe simplified a little bit of the plot's mechanics to where it wasn't kind of so many twists and turns. I think I would have been a little bit happier. Um, but again, it's 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 definitely not a bad episode. And I think there were some very good outcomes. So I think I think when you look at peaks and ebbs, this episode mm-hmm. peaked very high for me and the ebbs were not so bad. So so. I think I think I will I will stick with a seven and a half. Well, that's all we've got for this week, Adam. Thanks for joining me to discuss again. As I said at the top, when two of us are on podcast alone, hijinks usually ensue, and it's it's quite a bit of fun. So, so thanks for thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah, th- thanks thanks for joining me too. Uh, I, we we thought this would be, and I rather I thought this would be a short episode. Looks like we went a bit, little bit long anyway. So, always do, uh, always do. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Emily, Bill, and Rudy, Dinah, and Max for being our other co-hosts and, and joining us every now and then to discuss Star Trek. Thank you, listeners, for spending another hour of your week with us. We always appreciate that you make us part of your weekly listening plan. Thank you, Justin Guha, for recording our theme music. We always appreciate hearing you strum away at the guitar. And thank you, special thanks this week to the casting directors at uh, Star Trek for giving us more South Asian actors, or at least actors of South Asian heritage in Star Trek without South Asian names. I, uh, I mean, you know, Tapring, Elder Gamal, like it's great. Just great. Keep keep doing that. That's what I want. Uh, definitely don't bring back Aditya Sahel and other like cool Indian characters. Like that's not worth it at all. Like I, I would not like you to do that. Gonna try some reverse psychology. And well, see and, and wait, why why can't we pull out some uh, uh, discovery callbacks? And it, it's Aditya Sahil's great 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 uh, father who named, happens to look exactly like him and named Bob somehow. <laughs> uh, that's what's gonna happen with that. All right. Yeah. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Goodbye.